Hey there, I'm Amanda Solar, founder of SoulfulLiving.com and creator and host of this podcast, Soulful Connections. This podcast offers a way to connect the dots between the lives we're living and the lives we want to live. You'll get to meet or get to know better people in our community who are willing to share what makes their lives meaningful, what brings them joy, and even how they've overcome obstacles that have been thrown their way. So find a cozy spot or keep driving and doing what you're doing, and let's connect. Let's talk about connection. So today I get to talk with Maureen Ferguson. Maureen is a talented artist. She is an artist, a visual artist, a performing artist. Um, I got to meet Maureen when she served as the creative director of a catering firm. Today, she's a comedian, and I just want to hear all about her career and her outlook. Welcome, Maureen. Oh, thank you. Hi, Amanda. It's so nice to be here. So you and I met when you were helping the chamber plan the Red Ball Gala, which is a, a big event. And I remember, I've told you this before, but I sat across the table and thought, how do I get to be friends with her? <laughs> <laughs> because you were really, really talented. You had such creativity. And then you had this like level of cool confidence that I could only... Well, I couldn't aspire to it. I just wanted to be around it, but I knew I could never achieve that level of cool. So what were you doing when we met? Like, what were you doing with that firm? Apparently just being cool. <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. And the feeling is so mutual, Amanda. I really, upon first meeting you, I really thought we connected. And I was like, oh, I hope this woman stays in my life. Um, also, amazing to hear that I come off as confident, because especially back then, this was a new part of my career and the whole time I was like oh, having imposter syndrome. So I'm glad I could pull off the confidence. Um, so the question was, what was I doing? Yeah. What were you doing for that catering firm? Like, how did you get to be doing that as a creative director? Because basically we were having this ball in a um, newly constructed courthouse and actually it was in the midst of being still being yeah exactly exactly yes yeah so I at the right before that I had a retail store so I had a vintage and handmade store it was first in Doylestown and then I moved to New Hope and through the New Hope store I started doing um some smaller scale event work like handmaking favors for brides, doing some decor for weddings, things like that, all handmade custom stuff. And old friends of mine had started this company, Modern Palette, and that was a catering company, but also their background, one was a chef and the other two, their background was in larger event planning. So they hired me for one event and it was so fun. Um, in fact, I was getting to the point when in the store where I just didn't want to be in retail anymore. You know, everything was sort of shifting and 
you had to have a really nice presence online to compete. When I first started, you didn't really need that yet. And then in a few years, it changed very quickly. But when you sell one of a kind items like vintage and handmade is a lot of work to put all that stuff and manage that inventory online and in the store. I just didn't want that to be my job anymore, but I didn't know what I wanted next. So Modern Palette invites me in to do this one job, which was incredible, was transforming a warehouse into this just really fun party. I got to build like, I don't know, like a nine and a half foot vertical garden. It was a, a beer garden, but I made it actually like a living wall and just doing all this really cool stuff. And I left that night after I looked at the whole room and I'm not an emotional person, but I actually had tears in my eyes, like seeing that it came together exactly how, as I pictured it. And I'm like, I love this. This is what I want to do. So we started talking and they wanted to add that level of service to their team. And I was like, peace out store, I'm doing this now. And that is how I ended up with them. That is very brave. You know, to me, as somebody who's stayed in so many different positions for a really long time. So where do you think that bravery comes from? I have no idea. Um, I really don't. I feel like... <laughs> Uh, up until a certain point of my life, it's like I almost did nothing because I was so afraid. Like I was so afraid of not being good at something or looking stupid or failing. So I just feel like I spent a lot of time not doing anything. So it wasn't a conscious thing that happened, but I just started putting myself out there and trying more and more. And I kind of think, I mean, this is probably oversimplifying, but... I really feel like success is just like how much humiliation you're able to endure yeah. to get to where you want to be um, because it's really hard to fail. It sucks, right? No one likes to feel like they're not good at anything or to fall on their face, especially in front of other people. And I think the more um, of a threshold you have for that and you can learn every time and just keep going and using it to get better and just keep trying stuff that's, I think, how you actually achieve success is your threshold for humiliation, you know? Actually, that makes a lot of sense. And that, and, and that you know, is a great little shortcut and segue to becoming a comedian because I can't imagine standing in front of people and trying to make them laugh. I can't actually imagine standing in front of people and just talking. Yeah, it's terrible. It's awful. You have to be crazy. So what made you <laughs> want to do it? Well, first of all, I literally every single thing I do scares the crap out of me all the time. Like I'm never, which is why I think it's so funny that you think that I project this confidence because I'm literally afraid of everything I do. It just, I just doesn't stop me from doing it. Um, and with stand up, comedy is something I tried when I was younger. I tried in my early twenties and I did not yet have a threshold for humiliation. Uh, it is, you're going to be terrible when you first start, just like you are at everything when you first start and you have to be okay with, I'm gonna suck. And I was not okay with that. And I, my ego just couldn't handle it. So I just quit. But it was always something in my head that was like, what if I really tried this? And it's something I've always really wanted to try. And weirdly, I was having some health problems at the time and like, uh, like half my hair fell out. And that was like, 
what made me be like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm doing stand up. <laughs> like I'm half bald and I'm finally going to get up on stage now and do it. I don't know why, but it was just like, it seemed like it made sense at the time. It feels like it would have the opposite effect, but <laughs> I know it's very weird when I say it out loud. I'm like, I don't know what happened, but it was that. Is it that you um, had, you know, I don't really fully understand what compels somebody to be a comedian. I don't either. I don't know. No <laughs> is, <idea. laughs> is it you, you have these thoughts in your head and you're thinking, this is funny. I got to share this. Is that part of it? I don't know. I mean, I think some of it is just like low grade narcissism. Um, totally benign, not the malignant kind. <laughs> but I think some of it too is like my favorite part about performing is really connection. That's what it is. So, I mean, the feeling of making an audience laugh is incredible, but more than that, what it really is, is it means you connected with them. And that's how you have a good performance is you have to connect with the audience. If you don't connect with them, they're not going to receive you well. So that's what it really is. And it's really incredible. And especially if you can kind of share things that we're all going through, you know, like, I think you actually said something earlier about like, there is comedy in everything in life, right? And every darkness and all the pain and all of it. And I think if we can laugh together, we also realize how universal I think yeah. we feel we live in this like ridiculous, like this idea of exceptionalism, which is delusional. Um, and I think that also keeps us separate because even though it like inflates our sense of self, it also like makes us feel alone. And I think when a bunch of different people who don't know each other can all sit here and laugh at like my early stages of menopause or whatever it is, we're all like, yeah, man, we know what this stuff feels like and we're kind of in it together. You know what I mean? That makes so much sense. And it's so interesting that you say that because part of the reason that I started this podcast was for connection and also to just kind of get real and and have that authenticity be shared and you know I think especially during the pandemic watching social media as I think we all did more I know I did more of that during the pandemic you do see a certain lack of authenticity and I was kind of searching for it so that's really interesting because when you actually talk about what you're really going through, there's humor in it and there's also connection. Um, so what are you doing now? What is life like as a comedian? What is life like? Um, so I do a couple of things. Um, I'm kind of doing a lot of freelance all around. So I, I work as um, a consultant, business consultant, which is I basically work with creative entrepreneurs and help them figure out the business end of it. So other independent artists, things like that. Um, I do design work, uh, graphic and otherwise, I don't know, give me a weird project and I'll figure it out. Oh, and then um, I do live comedy shows, which are finally coming back a little bit. So if I can get a gig, I will take it. I also do improv. Um, I'm in an improv group right now. We're still performing virtually and I'm also on a podcast. I'm a regular on a podcast called winging it called winging it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look that up. Um, so what 
fuels you? Like what gets you like out of bed and what is your driver? Coffee, just <laughs> coffee. That's the only thing that gets me out of bed. I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth. I think this is a really weird time. Um, so I think we're all probably feeling uh, a lot of really strong emotions. Uh, so I tend to like fluctuate. If you would have asked me a couple of years ago, I might have, you know, said something like cool. Uh, but now I don't know, like some days I will leave it until the absolute last minute to get out of bed because I don't want to deal with it. You know, yeah. everything feels really hard and then feeling overwhelmed in a way that I don't ever remember feeling because the world is hard right now. But then sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, being alive is awesome, right? <laughs> like everything's a miracle. It's so awesome. And I just want to live, you know, every second of my life. And so it's either one of those two ex extremes, <laughs> like under the covers, stay in bed all day and eat, you know, leftover pizza in my bed or, you know, up with vigor. <laughs> right. No in between. So what about if your day doesn't contain this, mm -hmm. this one thing, then it's kind of like, oh, that day was a little bit of a waste. Is there something that you have to have every day? Hmm. I don't know. I'm a person who, and even as I described in the ways that I have jobs, I'm a project by project person because I like every day to be a little different. So really, I think the only thing that I could say that about is having time, and I mean this in earnest, having time to hang out with my husband. That's nice. That's like what keeps me really grounded. He's my favorite person to spend time with. He makes me laugh. And when he, when our schedules aren't meshing up and we're kind of on different ends of the work spectrum, I feel like my day sucks a little more. So tell me how you met your husband. I met my husband in summer school because we were bad kids. <laughs> um, so we ended up in summer school for English, which if you knew us is even funnier because we're actually both uh, come from a writer background. Um, and he would do these, I think it was the year where you do British literature. So it was very Beowulf heavy. And my husband, his name's Dan, he did these amazing voices for Beowulf that made me laugh. And we struck up a friendship right away, though he will tell you he had a crush on me from the very beginning. Um, but we did not date until our, you know, our 20s. And we weren't friends the entire time. Like we both moved away. He went to college. We came back to this area, the suburbs that we're in now. We reconnected and we were friends. And then we ended up later dating and then now we're married for, I think, 13. I think it was 13 years. Oh, my God. Don't tell him I didn't know. Let me text him. I never remember <laughs> how long I'm married for. <laughs> I just don't even know what year it is right now. It's right. Like, I don't, you know, it gets yeah. back to what we were saying we, where we don't yeah. really, we're directionally challenged exactly. maybe. Um, what about like a mission or a purpose? Like, do you say, this is my purpose in life, or this is my mission in life? I don't think about it in such a, I think, linear, Specific. yeah, in such a linear way, but there are certain things that I always carry with me that I try to, it's always really important to me that the things that I believe 
I guess like morally that my practices, like my actions match up to what I think in my head. And sometimes that's a lot of work and sometimes I honestly fall short a lot, but I know that, um, you know, when I go into things and we're all guilty of it, right? Like we do things out of convenience and we're like, oh, that's stuff I cared about. Like the single use plastic is fine just once, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right. Um, but in a lot of ways, I just really, my ultimate goal is that there's a very small gap between, you know, my philosophies and my actions. And I think every day I try to shorten that gap a little bit. Okay, so I just want to go through like some favorite things. Just a re what's a favorite that pops into your mind? Tomorrow you may have a different favorite. I feel like this is a Rorschach test. Or I, I say this and people get really stressed because they think it's everything. Like this sums me up. This movie sums me up. But it doesn't have to be that deep. It can be just like what, you know, you think of. So do you have any favorite books or a book that you like? book that has made an impact upon you. Oh my God. How long is this podcast, man? Because I got a lot. <laughs> okay. I'm, what jumps into your head? Well, I love reading. I've always That's loved awesome. reading. Um, last year during the pandemic, I managed to read over 70 books last year. Phenomenal. <laughs> and like a lot of them were just like garbage books. Like I'm not talking like high literature, just like passing the time. Um, but some of my favorite, uh, books are I love the author Richard Brodigan um so almost any of his novels I love these are like historical favorites oh my god you only asked for one but I'm gonna give you no give me more I'm so sorry yeah um Betty Smith's A Tree Grows in Brooklyn um is another one that I read really young and it is something I read you know every few years because it just oh that's great yeah I try to like you know those books that are just like ah like yeah. a like a warm blanket, you know, that you just went to. And because I did read so much garbage last year, I actually have a pile right now of books I'm rereading that I've loved. Um, so how about I tell you what's in my pile? Tell me what's in your pile. I got A Member of the Wedding, Carson McCullers. I've got The Post Office by Charles Bukowski. I've got Classic Lolita, Nabokov. I've got, what else? Catcher in the Rye. Um, and I feel like, actually, I feel like A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is also in the pile again. So what makes a book your favorite or special to you? Like, what do you look for? Just back to this word again, connection. Sometimes it's the language. Sometimes it's the story. Sometimes it's a character. But sometimes it is literally just the words. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody just will describe even something simple in a way that resonates with you. You're just like, yeah, home, you know? Yeah, I love that. I love when I read something and I say, that's what I think. Yeah. I didn't know I thought it, but, you know, yeah. Toni Morrison does that for me. Yes. I go, oh, my gosh, Toni Morrison, except for jazz. I still don't get jazz, but that's okay. Isn't it incredible when you can find, like, someone who verbalizes something that you, like, have felt and you never put it into, like, a linear thought, and then you're like, oh, my God, that's how you say it. I love that. And and I can sometimes find that in a book that isn't even one of my favorite books. I mean, I could just read a book to pass the time, like you're talking about, yeah. and I can still find that sometimes sentence that resonates. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and honestly, like I read a lot of just like thrillers also. And there's some really crappy stuff that I will read, but it is still like fun because you're in a mystery. Yeah. Or you have these heightened senses. So is it like high literature that I'm going to like that's never gonna make it in my reread pile? But it was still a really enjoyable, yeah. you know, hours spent. Yeah, and you know, I was telling one of the girls, one of my daughters today, it's really important to actually read pages in a book. I really do think it's a mental exercise as mm-hmm. well. I really, if I could have everybody do one thing that they're not doing, if you're not reading a book, just read a page in a day. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's kind of like working out for your muscles, but this is for your brain. There's something very, very powerful about reading words on a page. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, do you have any favorite quotes or quotes that you stick with or a mantra or something that rolls around in your head or you go back to or it inspires you? Yeah. <laughs> Everything looks bad if you remember it. But Homer Simpson. <laughs> but seriously, it's one of my favorite quotes. Everything looks bad if you remember it. That's so interesting. What well, does it mean to you? Well, I think in the context of that, it was about him doing something when he was drunk. Oh. And Marge is like, oh, you did this thing. He's like, yeah, sure. Everything looks bad if you remember it. And as a person, I'm actually sober. I don't drink anymore because I am an alcoholic. Um, so that it just like delights me because I'm like, yeah, Homer, preach. So like, funny. I know that feeling. That's a good one. And I think you might be the only person to ever come up with that one as their favorite quote. (laughs) What about either like a movie or even something you've watched recently? Like what do you watch Netflix? Are you watching a series now? Did you? Yeah, I'm actually re-watching Fleabag right now. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that, but Um, I heard really good things about it. It's incredible. It's like the perfect series. What do you love about it? I love the writing. I love the honesty. I love that it is a show that was adapted from a stage play. It is awesome. It's funny. It's dark. It's sad. It's everything. It's perfect. That's good. I'll have to watch it. I just finished one, a series. I'm very bad with series. I abandoned them. I Well, that's why if you watch the British stuff, they're short. They're like six yeah. episodes to a BBC season, baby. Bang that stuff out. That's good. Um, Comedian. Do you have any comedians who you like, admire? So many. Um, So many. I think um, growing up, I was really influenced by comedy. I always loved to laugh. And I have really early memories of watching Marx Brothers movies with my mom. Um, That is just like brilliant stuff. But then... You know, even her showing me like old Phyllis Diller stuff, oh, yeah. old uh, uh, Carol Burnett. Um, of course, there's a ton of people doing modern stuff, but that stuff really That's imprinted cool. on me at a young age. My grandmother loved Carol Burnett. I just oh, remember that. I had forgotten that. I adore her. Yeah. She was really funny. Yeah. And those characters, it was her and Vicki Lawrence with like Mama and Eunice. I don't know if you remember, and oh yeah, from the Carol Burnett show, and I think uh, there was a spinoff. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I loved it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you do when you're feeling like uninspired? 
Mm. What do you do to get inspiration? So, you know, one of the biggest hurdles, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is, you know, I spent a lot of time not doing things because I was really afraid and insecure. Um, so when you start doing things as a job that are creative, you panic because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not inspired. I've got nothing good coming out of me right now. And you have to just blast through it because you have a deadline and you might have a contract or somebody is paying you. So you just have to figure it out. And there are some times that you put stuff out and it feels seamless where you're like, oh my gosh, it really came from the universe. I'm just a vehicle for whatever idea this is. And it poured out of me seamlessly. Other times you will spend hours doing something that should only take you a portion of that time, but you just have to like push so hard to be able to make it work. Um, so I think that in a lot of ways, I don't know, I think inspiration exists, but it's also kind of like a myth. You know, there are certainly times where I will resonate with something, a color, a texture, a series, a book, and I'm just like, oh, it gives me ideas in uh, unexpected ways sometimes too. It just creates a feeling in me and then I feel like I have a new idea. But oftentimes I think it's like, I try to just sit down and get the thing done, even if it's not for work. You know, I, I like to make myself stay sharp on whether it's writing or drawing and just do, do it. it. And even when I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And then just keep being terrible, but do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There is something powerful about doing, you know, I sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by it the quality of it that we actually don't put anything out. We don't create. Yeah. And so I guess maybe you're saying like the act of creating can serve as the inspiration or not, but still something gets created. Yeah. And then just being okay with like, what do we really expect of ourselves? Yeah. You know, especially as creators, like, do I think everything I do is going to be amazing? No. Most of the stuff I do is going to be crap until one thing is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and that's, the whole process yeah you know writing like do you know how many drafts it takes or like when i do a joke it could take me a year to get that joke to to be where i need it to be of rewriting it then performing it seeing how the crowd reacts comparing that to other crowd reactions and just constantly tweaking it and then being like okay i think now this performs the same way every time but it's just like doing it and doing it and doing it and keep reworking it. Yeah. And I think we have these ideas about like, Oh, being inspired and I'm just going to make this thing. And I just find that um, maybe that's how other people operate. But for me, it's just like a tremendous amount of labor yeah. behind everything yeah. that I put out. And that's the only time that anything is actually really good. You know? Yeah, I didn't understand that process from comedians until I was listening to an interview and somebody had had a special and they were, they had this big comedy special and then they were like, okay, now I have to start all over again. Now I've got nothing. I just gave you everything I had. <laughs> and I never thought about all of the structure and effort that has to go into a show. Well, yeah. And if you see, you know, someone like you know, like a famous comedian going on tour, like the first show of that tour is going to be different than the last one because they're working through all of it. Yeah. You know, and by the end it's like, okay, got this. Yeah. 
Um, what are you following in the news right now or what story is, you know, impacting you or you can't turn away from or you just find yourself drawn to? I am very proud to say that I don't pay attention to the news since this year. So after four years, no particular reason, just randomly a certain <laughs> period of four years, I was completely addicted to, oh my God, what is happening today? <laughs> that I was like, not that I don't pay any attention right. to it at all, but like I had to come off of, I was in this complete like adrenaline mm. chaos cycle yeah. of like just codependency with the media that I needed to release myself from. Mm -hmm. So I think right now, the only thing that I'm really like following that I constantly check on is actually when Apple is putting out the new computer I need because it has been delayed time and time again because of the microchip shortage and doing graphic work and video work. The, I need a new computer and I need this one particular computer. And I think Steve Jobs' ghost is punishing me for something. Um, but that is the thing. And interested, I don't know if it was interesting or not, but I had this revelation because Apple made an announcement, like I said, paying attention. They made their announcement a couple weeks ago and it didn't mention my computer. And they're like, we're gonna do another announcement in October. And I was getting really frustrated and I thought, wow, we are so used to getting whatever we want, whenever we want. And it hasn't been that long. I didn't grow up getting whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, but just this small period that yeah. I'm so addicted to it now that if I have to wait to get a thing, which I think the pandemic has made us all have to wait for a lot of things that changed our lifestyle, which is good for us. And essentially it will be good. It will make us better. But in the moment, it really frustrates you. And then you're like, wow, what a spoiled brat. Look. That's a good point. Spoiled I have been this whole time. I'm like, oh, I want this new computer and I want it now. It's true. I mean, yeah. when the Wi-Fi doesn't work for a second, you know, we're having... End of the world. Yeah. 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 And just imagine kids that are just being born right now. They don't even know a world where you had to wait for something, yeah. you know? That's crazy. It is. Um, so what do you wish... The rest of the world, if you could say this, I want the rest of the world to do one thing or to read one thing or, you know, they could know one thing. What would it be? Whew. <laughs> I wish the rest of the world would know how good imitation crab meat is. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to waste my wish. Please I take it back. Oh, my God. I wish for some more. Um, you know, I think it's simple stuff. And I wish it for myself too, is just to remember, like, and I'm going to say this word again, is that we are all connected, you know, and as separate as we feel, um, we have to get through all of this. And by all of this, I mean life <laughs> together. And particularly right now, um, we have to do that together. And we're allowed to be different. We're allowed to have all sorts of difference of opinions, but like, let's not lose track of the fact that like, where, you know, I'm you and you're me, like, and I think sometimes, especially because of we communicate so virtually, we forget each other's humanity. And in that we forget our own humanity, you know? So I guess that 
And the crowd needs in. Right. Equally important. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think that's the perfect spot to end. So thank you so much for doing this with me, Maureen. I really uh, appreciate it. Thank you it. so much for having me, Amanda. I always love talking to you. It's always a fantastic time. Same. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Thank you to the talented musician, Bill Aronson, who gifted me with the intro to this podcast. And thank you also to my associate producer and bestie, Roseanne Griffiths, for all of her guidance and support. If you have anything to share with me about the podcast, ideas for the future, topics, please send me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.